You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. And we're live. Kalimera and Kalispera. This is good morning and good evening in Greek. As I'm forcing the Duolingo vibes on everyone and trying to have people learn more languages. I am also today traveling all the way to Hania, Greece, where my dear friend Denia Kazaku is on the other side. She is an art owner and also a gallery owner back in Hania in Crete and has been working in the art industries for a bunch of years. And so So given that this year has been really difficult for all the art creators and art managers, we wanted to touch upon the reality of art today and how are the artists coping with all of those problems and how we can help and support the art scene all over the world, actually, just because Denia has been a very international gal living in, the, living in New York back in the day, then living in Berlin, living in London for a bit, and now She's back in her home country of Greece. Welcome, Hania. Uh, welcome, Hania. <laughs> welcome, Denia, to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. We will be talking about many interesting things, all of which I have no idea about, but I am a big fan of art, specifically street art for myself. I'm always a fan of things that you show me through uh, your Instagram and your live sessions sometimes when you do them on Instagram as well. And I am very grateful that you're introducing me to more of that educational side of art because I would probably myself not be able to seek out all of those new artists. So today we will be talking a lot about them as well. But first of all, I would like you to give us a little bit of a backstory of how you even got into art management because it's yeah. not everyone's uh, first thought of a career. No. So when actually I used to live in London, I, I went to London when I was 17 to study uh, medical microbiology and forensics. So something completely different to art. I always you know, I wanted to do either something with biology or something with art. So um, I tried the biology side for a few years because obviously that's the more financially stable, uh, safe approach. But I was really, really miserable. I was actually quite depressed in my final year because I tried. I really, I changed my topics a lot until I could figure out what I liked. And I decided I didn't want to work in any of these fields um, after graduating. It's just not me, you know, and I just was kind of going along with it for a while. Because I thought, you know, I've been doing this for a while, I have to finish now. But I was really not happy. I was just in bed a lot, eating really unhealthy food. But I think, you know, because I went, I was in Crete before I went to London. So I thought, I've, I've done this. And, you know, obviously education in the UK isn't free. And we've spent a lot of money. My family had spent a lot of money uh, for my tuition because I didn't get any student loans or anything like that. So I felt like I had to finish. And then in my final year, I just thought, you know, I can't do this anymore. So I stopped, I, I withdrew from my um, degree and I worked full-time in retail for a year and I got a portfolio together and I applied for fine art. I was accepted at the University of East London into my first year instead of a foundation. They, they took me straight into the first year because I had, I guess, enough life experience that I didn't need to do a foundation course. It's really random. So in my second year, um, there was a project my uni was doing with the National Portrait Gallery for the Olympics because it was 2011 at that time. And 2012, they had the Olympics in London. And my university is in East London. So we were directly involved with the development of the area and all this kind of stuff. So um, one of my tutors, he's this amazing photographer. His name is uh, Faisal Abdullah. He chose me and five other people from my court to do a photography project for the National Portrait Gallery. We had every week these critiques with these very established photographers 
that had work already in the museum. And we used to have to present every week some new work and then have like, you know, a conversation about what we need to change. Uh, and then I did that project, but I kept all the contacts or most of the contacts I had made from the photographers. And then in my third year, I had to do a placement for my degree. And I was talking to one of the photographers, Jillian Edelstein, who's this amazing photojournalist from um, South Africa. And she said I could do some PR for her if I wanted. And I kind of started doing PR for her as a placement for my uni. And it went really, really well. And I got her like an interview for like the BBC completely randomly. I was just like out in a club and like I met these journalists and they were like, oh yeah, we can, we can interview her. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's kind of how that started nice. really organically. Yeah. And then the other photographers heard about me working with her and they were like, you know, why are you working with her and you're not working with us? So I started working with them as well. And then I just got all these people contacting me because there was no one doing PR at the time for artists because people usually do PR for galleries, but they don't do it for the artists themselves. So I just okay. got all these other artists approaching me. And then before I graduated, the head of the university, who I'm actually still friendly with, and I have some of his work on my uh, gallery Instagram account, um, oh, nice. asked me if I wanted to just come into the office one day and then... He just introduced me to the dean and they hired me to do the event coordinating for the arts and digital industries department. I had like no idea. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, just come in. Um, so then I just registered a company at, like right after uni uh, in 2012. And so I was doing PR since then uh, and just working with people for free initially, you know, for a while. And I even just worked with like a couple musicians and stuff as well in the beginning just because I wasn't really sure if I wanted to uh, focus on one genre. Yeah, that's kind of how it happened. I was just doing PR for people everywhere. I was going to all the fairs in Europe and the States mainly. And then 2019, I was just literally walking around Kenya because I'm from here originally. And a friend contacted me and they were like, yeah, we have this empty office space. Do you want to have a look at it? And I thought, oh yeah, that would be really cool for a gallery. So I thought I'm going to open a gallery. And that's kind of how it happened. It was random. <laughs> just casually. <laughs> I just casually opened a gallery. Yeah, it was like completely, like, honestly, I really, I hadn't, I mean, I always had in the back of my mind that maybe one day I might open a gallery, but in order to open a gallery, especially in places like London or Berlin or Paris or New York, it's so expensive. It's so expensive. So if you don't have a massive fortune, you're really just, it's going to be too hard. So this was okay. So the challenge of opening a gallery in the European city, let's say, is mostly because of the cost of rent, because it has to be yeah. in the prime location. Yeah. But then is it also because of how much does it cost to get the art in? To get the art in is not much more expensive than getting it here. The pricing is the same. If actually it might be even more affordable if I was in a main European city, because then some people could just drive over with a van if they're in Europe. Yeah, um, yeah we'd we would like to remind our audience that Crete is an island in yeah. Greece for those who yeah. don't know I would assume everyone knows that Crete is an island <laughs> um, yeah so Crete is an island yeah. if I want to have anything sent over it's going to take a little bit longer than if I was in a mainland country and also you would have to involve either a boat or a plane at some point but the, the main problem with opening something in a mainland city uh, like a big European city like the ones we mentioned is the, the cost of the rental space would be very very high it would be 10 times what I'm paying now for sure. 
never assume anything, but I assume that you had a thought of maybe opening a gallery in Berlin. And sadly, given the circumstances of this year, I think you would have been a lot more stressed than you probably are right now. I know it would have closed for sure if I was in Berlin. So the problem is with Berlin, I love Berlin as a city, you know this. There's too many art galleries and artists. It's like 3 million people and 1 million of them are artists or art professionals. They're DJs. Okay, so it's 3 million people, yeah. 1 million artists, and 2 yeah. million DJs. That's how yeah. this Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's Berlin, yeah. So <laughs> there's like five people in the whole city that can afford art. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is um, not really that financially comfortable, let's say. So yeah. uh, it's great as a city for inspiration and to create art because there's so many artists, like you get really great ideas. You can go to, to an exhibition opening every day. You can go to five exhibition openings every day if you want to, you know. So for um, inspiration, for influences and things like that, amazing city, amazing. But to sell art, no, it's just too difficult. And I've spoken with collector friends in Berlin and they do say that actually if uh, you're a mid-tier artist, you sell more in Berlin than any other city of Germany, which makes sense, but you have to already be in the mid-career field because the emerging artists do not sell anything in Berlin. It's only outside. Okay. So I have many questions to this. What would you say is the best city to have a gallery in? Let's say in the more normal circumstances. New New York. New York, anywhere in the States, New York, LA. Yeah. The strongest buying power is in the States. Americans in general tend to buy much quicker than anyone in Europe. I think it's a lot to do with the mentality in the States because a lot of people started from a very low position and worked their way up. So you have a lot of people taking risks there. In Europe, Mm -hmm. it's not like that. In Europe, it's more old money. So for someone to start collecting an artist, they have to have already known them. It has to be a recommendation. It takes much longer. You have to have like five meetings before someone decides something. It's a much longer process, but they're more loyal in Europe. Okay, interesting. Oh, so once you buy some piece from one artist, then you just collect on uh, from the same artists. Yeah, where Mm -hmm. the state is not that much like that. In the States, it's more, you know, you'll give someone a chance um, once, as long as it's not too expensive. And then if they like it, they might buy again. But it's not the same commitments like in Europe. Okay, so the States are the, the best. And the second best, if you were to name a country in, in Europe, would there be anything? So basically, the main cities for art, for buying art, I would say are New York, London, say Brussels is very strong in Europe. Basel is also very strong, but usually yeah. only when it's Basel, but I was thinking about Switzerland as well. That there's a, yeah. enough capital there to have yeah. people buying, no? Mm-hmm, for sure. Zurich is occasionally doing some good stuff. Uh, Vienna up is growing slowly. There, there are some very good collectors over in Vienna. But yeah, and Berlin actually for mid-career is okay. So let's talk about how this works. Because you said like once you're in your mid-career, what does that mean for an artist to be mid-career? You know what? I think everyone's definition of mid-career is different. I don't want to like say it's definitely one thing and then have someone message me after and be like, you know nothing. You know, so I don't, I don't want to do that. But I would say it's someone who has been exhibiting for many years in several locations internationally hopefully they're in a few collections in some permanent collections maybe even a museum show then they would be in my opinion mid-career and also over the age of 30 maybe 32 over Mm -hmm. that age anyone younger than that is they can't be mid-career like realistically 
I was going to say Monet, but he's dead. So no, he no. fulfills all the requirements apart from being alive. No. So. Mid-career, so there's emerging artists, then you have mid-career artists, then you have established artists, and then you have like superstars. So Monet, obviously he's dead, but he's <laughs> in the superstar category. Um, so it's Let's like say. Anyone, yeah. who anyone would know. It doesn't need to be an art-related person. Uh, that would be like a star. That would not be like a mid-career artist. Yeah, for sure. I'm just practicing my dad jokes in every episode. So I hope one of them finally sticks. Okay, and then emerging artists are those who are just starting, but then already had a gig or two, or they are like absolutely unknown. They could be completely unknown. It's just some it's just new artists, young artists, but they're they're doing a few shows. Usually you can tell with emerging artists, they're trying to do a lot of shows, which is great. And they're not too picky about who they're showing with because they just want to have their work out there. But yeah, younger, younger artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference of what types of artists do you like to work with in terms of where they are in their career? Because I guess it, in, in some way it impacts how they interact with you as well. But also, is there a type of art that you're mostly interested in? As you know, I work with contemporary artists. So people yes. that are doing things that are relevant to what we're living. I prefer to work with mid-career artists just because they are usually very professional not always, but usually very professional. They, um, they don't take things personally, which is great as well. And it's a business. So they understand that it's a business and they treat it as a business. Emerging artists are great sometimes, <laughs> but it's a lot of handholding sometimes. And it's much more work, much, much more work to work with emerging artists. But you can see some really cool stuff. Like a lot of emerging artists are making really, really, really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always good. I, I was just thinking that when you're, you know, mid-career and you've been burned enough times and you've been praised enough times, you also understand that your creative space is in your studio. And then mm-hmm. whatever you created, you bring out as a product to the business side of things. And you, you just learn how to separate those two worlds so that it doesn't feel so emotional or so personal when you actually have to deal with uh, selling it right because also you have to negotiate a price sometimes I assume and it's not always uh, easy to I mean it's not necessarily about the selling part with the personal thing because usually uh, mid-career artists don't sell their own work the gallery usually will sell it for them so they don't really have to get involved too much Usually with mid-career anyway, with their pricing, they'll just tell me, oh, no, this costs this much. And then I know that's what it costs. And then maybe we can adjust it by 10%, but that's mm-hmm. the price. And mm-hmm. they're, they're very confident with that. So that's mm-hmm. good for me. It's more to do with um, rejection because the thing is with emerging artists, they haven't been working a lot, a long time, and they're not used to rejection. And everyone gets rejected, everyone. And I don't, I don't just mean about um, sales. I mean about everything, press, entries for, for residencies, for contests, for exhibitions. You know, there's a lot of rejection and very few people make it. So usually a mid-career artist has already gone through all of the rejection and they're still working. They love their work. It's still very personal to them, but they, they understand that the other person doesn't see it as a personal thing. Do you see what I mean? So it's not, it's not their uh, problem. Yeah, I mean, in the end of the day, it's like a num- it's a numbers game, right? Like there's yeah. a limited number of spots in the gallery and limited number of spots for the exhibition. And it's a weird mix because it's another human deciding on another human's art or creation. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it is a mix of 
someone having a more, I think, open mind and allowing, let's say, an emerging artist to come into the mix. And sometimes there's a theme that they don't fit and that becomes a, a bit of a pickle. Yeah. For them. But um, currently, I, I, I'm loving works that have to do with feminism and gender roles and mental health and body positivity and all this. I'm like really looking at artists that are in that field just because I think with the quarantine, we've all been really, really pushed and under a lot of stress. And these are things that people are focusing on a lot because we're all at home. A lot of people put on weight. I've put on weight. <laughs> no because I'm home all day so like you know when you're home all day you just end up you know eating things and so it's like you're home all day you have all this pressure you have the financial pressure which is huge because a lot of businesses are closing so any artist that's working with things that can kind of deal with this or help you kind of accept yourself or take some pressure off I'm, I really am focusing on these artists because I think they're they're doing very important work right now so just these months I've focused there. I agree. This has been definitely an ongoing conversation. To an extent, I'm actually glad that we finally started talking about health and mental health yeah. and physical health as well. Because, I mean, obviously, this whole year has been really challenging for everybody. And there's no, you know, there's no discussion about that. But the, the good things that came out of this crisis of health are at least a discussion about it, at least uh, raising the points of and raising some awareness about how important it is to really spend more time outside, spend more time being active, spend less time eating processed food. But going back to the arts, could you maybe name a few artists that are doing this great work? We will link to all of those artists in the show notes because I think it's awesome to give them a little bit more of a spotlight, but it would be interesting if you could name a few and tell us why they are awesome. In the past few months, as you mentioned in the beginning of your intro, I have been doing these lives on Instagram from the gallery account. So I've been very fortunate of having some of these people on the lives. I actually think I've had everyone I, I mentioned on the live. So that's, that's good. There's links, everything. Yeah. So I think do you want me to tell you about mental health or body positivity or because we I've also had some very good artists that have to do with um, things that do with racism, which also is linked to mental health. I mean, I'm good to name at least one from each category uh, that right. you Let really, really that. like. For mental health recently, and by the way, naming one person is extremely difficult. I don't know if I can just name one person. for. You every can category. name a few, if you yeah. want. <laughs> um, so one person for mental health, I recently spoke with her. Actually, her name is Andrea Deimos. She's Cypriot uh, British. So she lives in London and she does a series of portraits of people that she's either met through mental health institutions or even just like normal people, like even some models. And she does these portraits of their faces and then she puts an audio element um, in the work and it's literally her sitters describing their issues. And it's like an immersive installation piece. So it's like you're, you're looking at the work, but you're also hearing the person speak to you. And because it's the audio part, it's forcing you to actually listen and watch the work. So you don't have any distractions. And it's very important, you know, because these people, especially the ones that are in mental health clinics, they feel like um, they're not important or they're just kind of being pushed aside. But their story is usually very important. And um, them talking about what's wrong or what they've been through helps them. Uh, massively. That's amazing. So I think her work is really cool. And then from 
body positivity recently I spoke with Eliza Valenti. She's an American artist, Italian-American. She paints these figures that she claims is not her, but it's a likeness of her. But they're these kind of beautiful, curvy, nude women, but they're like just lounging around like really casually, like eating pizza or they're just naturally just sitting there, just accepting their bodies, which is amazing, you know, because she's got like the, the, the character has quite a big belly as well. And she's not trying to like suck it in or kind of like sit in a, a weird position. She's just like hanging there, you know? So not I, photoshopping I, it out. Like no, everybody. she's not photoshopping anything. She's just like, this is my body. It's beautiful. Just accept it or fuck off basically. So like, I, I love her stuff and she has very nice colors as well in her work. So it's also very happy kind of to look at. And then also another body positive artist that I spoke with recently, who's also amazing is Jamie McCartney. And his work is actually one of his posts I posted on the Instagram account. It got so much traffic. It had something like 74,000 people viewing it. It was like insane. There was this panel of 16 penises. Uh, all oh, stuck that's why. Each other. Yeah. <laughs> it was it basically, he, he's known for his wall of vagina. It's like the great wall of vagina piece, um, which is a panel of 400 women's uh, cast of women's vulvas in a row. And he started doing these works because uh, he used to work in uh, LA and he used to do plasters of body parts and stuff for movies. And okay, uh, cool, cool. yeah, he saw that in the UK, because he's British uh, originally, in the UK, the, the fastest rising number of plastic surgery was actually in vaginal surgery. So a lot of women like were augmentation. Getting, mm -hmm. They were getting plastic surgery and creating like these designer vaginas, which is insane because no one actually looks at that part of your body until you're already completely naked and just ready to have sex, I would assume. I guess and it doesn't change much in the end of the day, but mm -hmm. I've also heard recently that the plastic surgeries generally are up right now because people don't like what they look like yeah. on Zoom. Yeah. And so I'm they're trying. Yeah. So this is like the newest trend. And okay. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, the uh, any organ augmentation, more okay. so your face right yeah. now, hopefully. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it's an interesting trend that people would want to look differently on Zoom. And so yeah, they would, they're Instagram. happy to go through a plastic yeah, I've surgery. Heard it, I've heard it about Instagram. I know like ever since Instagram started, um, people are just going and asking for crazy con contouring looking surgeries that is not real on any level. <laughs> I don't, you know what, when I was younger, I used to really care a lot about how good I looked in a photo. And I'm kind of like, I really don't care. You know, like this is mm. what I look like. I know 90% of what I'm seeing online is fake anyway. So no one actually looks like that. No one can be this perfect. So whatever, it's fine. <laughs> but his work is basically challenging this exact notion. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's put all these like vaginas next to each other or vulvas even. And he put all the penises next to each other of different sizes and stuff just to show that you're, you're normal. There's no right way of being like, there's nothing wrong sure. with you. So I really love, love his work. And actually we, um, this piece that had 70,000 hits, I spoke to someone about in Artnet about it recently, and they might be running an article because someone from a very well-known sitcom uh, copied his work. And no. So there's, there's a thing happening now, but we'll see. I don't want to give too much information out because it might have to go into legal. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll look it up. And if there's anything interesting, guys, I'll post it in the show notes so you can follow the drama. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of drama, you know. 
Well, so his work is amazing. And then I love like feminist artists like Betty Tompkins is amazing. I was so lucky to have her on the live. She's like one of the first hardcore feminist artists like, out there right now. She does these like super close up scenes of like sex scenes from porn or whatever, but they're hyper-realistic paintings. So they look like they're real pictures and she just writes things on them or she'll have like close-ups of vaginas and she'll write like letters of Me Too survivors on the vagina. So it's okay. like things that people have sent her. She, she mentioned somewhere, I think in an article that when she was studying fine art. So this woman, keep in mind is uh, 75, I think right now or 76, she told us on the life, so I'm not giving away her age. Okay. Um, but she actually said when she was studying that one of her professors told her she's never gonna make it in the art industry unless she's on her back. And this woman obviously was making these hyper-realistic, hardcore pornography paintings when she was 20 years, 18 years old. So we're talking about a while ago, okay? Wow. And um, so she she only made it when she was 50. She, she got recognized in her 50s and she became massive. So now she's like a, an icon, you know? So she was on the lives. I, I love her stuff. And then I, I love Justice McKelly's work as well, who's... Uh, He's an activist and he's got a lot of things to do with Black Lives Matter and just acceptance as well. He does a lot of like two men hugging each other and things like that for which especially for the black culture is like a very taboo topic. And he is in South Africa as well. So he's not even in a, a European, let's say advanced city. Not that South Africa is in advance. It's quite good, but you know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. as old. Yeah. He's not like um, in the, in the mix of this yeah. of the you movement berlin, as much i guess no one cares what you do in berlin mm-hmm. so he, he's also very very strong his work yeah these are all great examples thanks Dania. Mm-hmm. we will yeah. link mm-hmm. we will link to those artists and obviously your instagram and um, and the gallery so people can check it out mm-hmm. and if there are any other ones that we haven't mentioned we'll add them anyway just because yeah. it's important that we all educate ourselves a little bit more uh, yeah. about things that are different and not only, you know, the politics and COVID. Yeah. So I'd be, I'm happy to have people get more inspired. And so if anybody also is interested to learn more, then they can reach out to you. You're very responsive. And then if maybe someone wants to start collecting, they can also reach out to you because you know all the people that they need to Please do reach out if you want to collect. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the situation right now in the art industry and and what is the current sentiment of artists as you're talking to them this whole year? It's actually crazy. Um, I feel like it's in every industry that there's been a mix of reactions. I don't think the art industry is um, different in that approach, but literally it, it really just depends on who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking with an artist who's mid-career and lives in a European city, uh, a big European city even, or even the States in New York, they've had very good years. They have had a very good year because a lot of collectors have not traveled this year because of the the restrictions for COVID and they're spending money. So they're buying art, but they will buy art from artists that they already know. So they will buy artists that are mid-career or established because they know the work, they've seen the work already in person And they trust that it's okay. Emerging artists and artists that are living in remote locations are struggling hard. Anyone who's emerging really is having a hard time. 
there's really no 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 other way of saying it's a lie if anyone is saying they're having a good time and they're emerging they're lying there's no way i've heard even several talks because obviously even though the fairs have closed because of covid uh, there's still talks and things happening online and i try and listen to as many talks as i can to see if there's any ideas someone is giving for emerging people but there's literally nothing that will actually substantially help the artists it's a lot of the advice people are giving are for mid-career and established artists, amazing. But I was even watching a live the other day um, with Art Basel and a collector was saying he bought like 60 works in the last two months from people he already knows. But the collectors are all getting like 40 PDFs a day from 40 different artists. Before the, um, before the restraints and everything, when everything was open, People used to go to like maybe four openings on a night, maybe. So they'll get like four PDFs. Now everyone is home. So all they're doing is sending emails to collectors all day long. They're overwhelmed with information. People are taking ages to buy anything. Ages. They have so much choice now. They really have the luxury to take their time to decide what they want. And they're not going to buy anyone who's emerging because they don't know the work. So there are some initiatives that have come out of the quarantine that are really helpful. Like there's some amazing stuff that has happened to help emerging artists, but that's not massively, do you know what I mean? It's like, it might give them some exposure or something, but not a huge, huge difference. And then the problem is that, you know, sending all of those portfolios out to collectors. And if I'm a collector and I'm getting 40, there's really nothing that diversifies you as an emerging artist from another emerging artist. And really the only thing you speak to me through is a PDF or an email, then mm -hmm. I cannot even create a connection with you, right? I cannot create a bond. I cannot see you interacting with your art or interacting mm -hmm. with your audience or talking about it in a way that is so immersive. So do you think there could be other ways of how emerging artists can create a little bit of a brand before they reach out to yeah. collectors? I was listening to one talk where a collector was saying that um, she really appreciates it when people make things very personal for her. So, I, and I think that was the good advice. Obviously there's setbacks to that because if you don't know the other person personally, you cannot make something personal for them or you cannot personalize anything. But some people that have, a, for example, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, they tend to post things that they like on their social media. So if you are following them and your work does have similar concepts or themes or something, then I would say you can try and approach those people and see if they would be interested in buying your work. Don't just send your stuff to everyone because first off, if I'm like, for example, a painter and I'm talking to a collector that only buys film or performance art, you know, and I email him and say, oh, hey, look, I made this painting. Do you want to buy it? They'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, this has nothing to do, you know, so you have to kind of think about that. But I would say the best thing artists can do is try and look at other brands, not only artists, but like fashion brands, music brands, try and collaborate with people and do crossover marketing um, mm -hmm. because then you'll expose your art to a, a wider audience and you're not just trying to do the same thing that everyone else is doing. So you're trying to look at other platforms as well and just post things in your story, like post work in progress things in your story or kind of like just things from your everyday life because then people get to know you as a person rather than just see like an image in a PDF. You know, they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's, oh, he's, he likes this or she likes that. That's cool. I'll do that. These are great tips, actually, yeah. for people to be 
first of all, creating their own brand through the platforms that they're using, whether this is Instagram right now, but I guess this is the most popular yeah, for artists. Yeah. And then being able to venture out to other types of industries and try to create something together with them. That's, yeah, that's a great advice. And then even if, you know, you don't know the collector personally, again, doing your research and doing your due diligence by observing them and seeing what they really like, at least you can then somehow reference what you've known or like what you've got to know about them so that yeah. maybe it beca- it be it creates a bit of a bond or a bit of a better connection. So for emerging artists, like you said, it's not the best moment right now. Do you find that they are still quite hopeful that this situation is a little bit more of a... A temporary one and then they're they're actually starting to do those creative things or they're just sitting and I, I think, you know again that really depends on the person if you're mm. uh, motivated anyway you're going to try and do things most people are struggling as I said it's very very difficult but I think the most important thing an emerging artist can do right now is kind of offer options so for example if your work is very expensive to produce, maybe try and make something that's a little bit more affordable and people can buy like uh, drawings or prints or something like that. So make it uh, easier for people to buy your work. There's so many online platforms and all of these people are on online platforms now. And it's, you know, even to make an online platform is not free. You can have some that's like up to, I think five or six pieces that might be free. But again, you need very high resolution images of your work. You need to have a, a photographer uh, in to, to do that. Or if you, if you have a camera, you can do it yourself, but you need very clear images of the work so people can actually zoom in to that point and see it. It's, it's hard. Most people are not having a good time. Most people aren't, but it's just, you just have to keep going. I mean, some people like you, for example, with your podcast now, you know, you're doing new things. You're doing like a new uh, platform and I think people they need to start adjusting and artists do adjust quite well usually so that's that's good hopefully they, they'll find some way of um, surviving are you saying I'm an artist yes I think most entrepreneurs <laughs> are artists if you're if you're creating something out of nothing you're an artist that sounds like an idea no I'm just as usual I'm just kidding there's something to doing new creative stuff that is very thrilling I'm mostly always very excited to to be able to a have an interesting conversation with most of the time my good friends and then you know like yourself giving people a platform to talk about what they really really love the third part of it is definitely that persistence and just that notion that you need to keep going and create and compound and create more. And even though sometimes I have days when I think, oh my God, this makes no sense. Nobody's going to listen to this ever. I think let's put this judgment off to the episode 100. And like if by 100 episodes, I decide that this is not going anywhere, then maybe I'll stop. But given that every time I hear something different from different people, finding value in very various uh, guests and topics and episodes, I'm like, okay, I'll just keep on doing that. Because at some point, you know, people then connect with each other. This is so awesome. Yeah. And I hope that a lot of people will connect with you after that. Yeah, you just like, you're, you're totally right and on point that if you really find joy in what you do, yeah. Sometimes you need to clench your teeth and just keep on going for the part of the time that is not perfect, because at some point the it'll, it's going to turn around, you know, like the tables will turn and at some point it's going to get better. So 
Yeah, but also keep in mind, you know, first off, because I did PR for a while, so I'm speaking just from um, that background knowledge. It takes at least three weeks for someone to recognize a pattern. So you need to be doing something for a while for people to pick up on it. Uh, And also, if you have even five people listening to your podcast and one of those five people thinks it's useful for something or, as you said, finds value, that's more important than having 100,000 random people just like clicking on for a second and then leaving. So I don't think the numbers really need to make any difference. So I would just say just do it. And then also keep in mind that you might do something now and post it and then maybe someone might hear in like three years or something and then be like oh hey I heard this thing you did three years ago and it was really cool so you never know like once something's on the internet you never know yeah it's you know this is never going away then yeah so you know Miranda writes everything you say right now might be used to help you get your business further so hopefully or you know maybe sue me at some point for all I know I don't have an idea yeah, we're we're only giving friendly advice to emerging artists. So I, I think they're going to be great. So as we are still in this mix of the world, world of art, yeah, the world of art, this, English language is so hard sometimes. I cannot pronounce everything correctly. So you said there's a lot of things that people actually can do um, yeah. as they're trying to get their word out. What do people say about the short-term future? And what is the what are the feels for the twenty twenty one situation? You mean for the industry in general? Sure. Yeah, we can talk about that. Like, you know, uh, the people that you talk to. Like short term, I would say people are just trying to make money. That's what their concern is right now. Long term, I think there's going to be a massive, massive shift in the industry. I think a lot of things are going to be digital from now on. I think a lot of people are going to stop going to a lot of things, even when everything's open. Because now that we know that everything can be on a PDF, why would we go into a crowded space? And unless we genuinely love the, the person, we won't do it. So I oh, think interesting. I actually thought that your answer is going to be that people cannot wait to come back and be able to go to exhibitions because it's uh-huh. so different to experience art in a gallery or in a museum. I think the fairs, yes. I think for sure people definitely want to go to the fairs again because at least I'm, I'm speaking from my experience because I love going to fairs because I see all my friends uh, from the art industry at the fairs. Like we see each other in all of the major events. So it's like a, a get together thing for me. I, when we when I go to the fair, for example, I don't really go to look at the art. I just go to network. I'll just like quickly scan the space to see kind of what the trends are. And then I just oh, go and okay. see the trends. So if, if someone is like genuinely interested in the artist, they'll usually go either before an opening or after when everyone's left because they want to see the work and actually um, experience it and, and uh, appreciate the work. But I and, think, I, yeah. and I guess then talk to the artist as well, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can never talk to anyone in an opening. It's like there's no point in coming to an opening to see art. It's just not going to happen. There's too many people there. Definitely, I think that's going to be a standard thing in the future. And also a lot of uh, people have been doing studio visits with Zoom and Instagram um, DM videos. And I think that's also going to be a very big thing because, for example, I've done Zooms with people in so many different, it's not even Zooms, I've done lives with people in everywhere. Like now, I haven't done anyone with anyone in Asia, actually, to be fair, but like 
New York, LA, Africa, South Africa specifically. I don't want to say the whole continent. Um, like London, Berlin, every, you know, like there's no limitation to, to seeing someone uh, after this. So we can so, do that. So it seems like the innovation coming out of this year for the art industry is going to be more of a digitalization yeah. of the art presentation. Um, yeah. At least that people might start doing more of filming of their art in the studio and then putting this out like that. And then this way, giving collectors access to their art and so that the collectors can buy it. But then that's not, that's not a great place for galleries then, no? No, no, I was going to say, don't get me wrong. I don't think people aren't going to go to galleries. I just think that there's going to have to be a digital presence at all times anyway. A lot of people want to see the work in person before they buy, especially for an emerging artist, because they, they won't just trust the PDF or because you want to see the texture, you know? And you want to see, because you know a lot of things are photoshopped as well. So you want to see what it actually looks like. Really? But yes. Oh, wow. Photoshop things. And then it doesn't look anything like what it looks like in person. Damn. And this is kind of why I also understand collectors on, on several levels that don't want to buy an emerging artist's work. Because you never know what you're going to get. And even things like how they're going to send it to you can make a huge impact on if you want to actually buy this work or show it or anything. I mean, I've had people send me things to the gallery in Crete wrapped in like cut up old t-shirts and like and like you know you want someone to give you money for this like why are you treating it like garbage and sending it to me you know what I mean so I do think people will definitely be going to the galleries I just don't think people are going to be going to a lot of um, openings and stuffy events and things like that if they genuinely want to see the art. They're going to go after it, they'll, but they'll see the PDF first. You know what I mean? Like you want to have the, okay. the information and then you just go. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that's going to be there. Yeah. So the digitized version is just going to be another layer yeah. on top yeah. of the traditional and yeah. in-person. Yeah. It's going to be an introduction, layer. but I, I think Instagram does that as well. I've been using Instagram as an introductory tool way before the um, quarantine. It's a great way of connecting with people. You just kind of say a hello, like you get your foot in the door with the, the digital stuff, but then for someone to commit, they want something in person. Okay, so, cool. Because you have to build trust. As always with everything. Yeah. If let's say someone like myself who has no money at the moment, but maybe mm -hmm. we'll have some at yeah. some point would like yeah. to start collecting and there's people definitely you know who are at a point where they would really want to have a nice piece of art or somehow support the artists that they that they like yeah. how do you start collecting where do you go with a little bit of money do you go directly to artists i assume that if they're already like you said a little bit established mm -hmm. they anyway have their own managers and agents yeah. and galleries yeah. so how do you start that process um i would say if you want to start collecting but you don't have a massive budget yeah the best thing to do if you don't actually know a lot about the art market is go to a gallery or a consultant or an advisor because they should know they should be able to do the research and tell you if what the information you're getting is credible because a lot of people 
will try it if they know someone doesn't really know. So go to someone who has uh, experience in the industry. Obviously, if you're friends with an artist, you can go directly to your friend, which, you know, just cut out everyone in the middle. But for someone who isn't friend with an artist, um, you would go and then a lot of people make work that isn't very expensive. For example, works on paper are usually very affordable. You can find some original works for under 500 euros, which I think is quite a fair price for an original artwork. Or you can get a print which a print, again, is like one-tenth of the price of an original painting, for example. So that's also a very good way to start a collection. They're all usually signed and numbered. So it's not like you're buying one out of 5,000 prints. It could still be like one out of 10 or one out of 25 or something like that, you know. So it has um, some value. Yeah, it'll definitely still have value. Also, another way that you can appreciate art, but this is more for businesses, not necessarily for homes, is leasing art, which is something that some artists offer. But that usually works if you have a business and you have either public liability insurance in the business or security footage and CCTV. So if you have a business like that, you can lease an artwork, so which basically means rent a piece of work. So if something is more than, say, 2,000 euros, you can rent it for like 12 months, two years, and you can just pay a fraction of the price for that time period. And then usually what will happen is you'll have a buyback option. So you can buy it at the end with the difference that what's left. And that's a very good solution. A lot of um, companies do that when they have, for example, like a reception area that maybe you want to put something really massive there, but you can't afford to buy something huge and very expensive. Uh, leasing of work uh, would be a very good solution for someone like that. Just you know, yeah. because it does make the space much better. And also it helps. Uh, there's a lot of studies that have come out that says that it does help the psychology of the employees when there's art in the space. So that's a good solution. But again, that's usually um, mid-career, emer emerging and mid-career artists might be open to that as long as it's insured and safe. Not everyone is open to that. Yeah, 100%. I think no. in the next year when people do go back to the offices at least part-time there's going to be probably more movement in that area. A friend of mine and I had this, I, I mean, it's not a new idea to do, to, to build that kind of a business with like renting art, but, but then we never actually obviously went with it. And I think especially being in Berlin, this is not, I would say the best place to yeah. probably push it and likely other other countries and other cities where there's more money business that is willing to do it. To be honest, like, I think the most difficult thing would be the insurance. After, if you have the insurance sorted, it shouldn't be an issue. Because if it's in, a, it's in a location that's very secure, then there's no reason why someone wouldn't be open to renting a piece. Uh, that's for sure. But if you think about, let's say, the up-and-coming scene in Berlin of startups, right? They're yeah. all in all of those kind of grungy yeah buildings and neighborhoods like what it's really cool to be at but not super safe and i remember back at Sociomantic when we were at polinka ufer so at the canal in kreuzberg we've had so many break-ins so yeah. many of them and they would steal stuff constantly from us so mm -hmm. i think I for think... those kind of locations the best solution is um street art or graffiti or things like that things that you can't be removed from the space and I know a lot of startups in Berlin um, do do um, use um, street artists to to fix the the space inside because it's kind of gonna give like an alternative kind of look to the space, which is cool. But it really just depends on what the business is because if it's something like most startups like to disturb a network or something like that, 
that makes sense because then the concept mm-hmm. of the work would make sense to the business. But if it's like something to do with like, I don't know, something luxury or, you know, like insurance or like accounting or something. Finance. You have, stuff. Yeah, you don't want to have necessary. I mean, it, yeah, it really just depends. I think if the business nature matches the work, then it, it would be okay. Yeah. Right. So that's a, that's a cool idea. But otherwise for individuals, if they want to start yeah. collecting, yeah. best yeah. thing to just reach out to you and then you can help them and direct them somehow. Me, anyone, an advisor consultant, just like start looking at small works uh, and start a collection with small works. Okay. Would you say that also reaching out to those artists directly on Instagram makes sense or do they always, are they always going to send you back to their agents? Well, it depends on the artist. If it's an emerging artist, no, they'll probably answer you directly. If it's an artist that has a contract with a gallery, they will send you to the gallery. Um, because a lot of artists, especially if they're mid-career or if they're like some emerging artists that are doing amazingly well, um, that are young, but they're selling like mm. crazy, uh, all the work that they're producing is contracted to a gallery they're working with. So anything, they, they probably won't have anything um, available from their studio. So you might have to go to the gallery anyway. They'll send you. Interesting. And before we wrap up and go to the last segment, I wanted to ask also, like on the personal level, what is your right now kind of favorite new type of art that you've been seeing? If it's like, if it, especially if it's a collaboration between different um, genres, have you yeah. seen something freaky lately that you were really amazed by no, and you really liked? I did a live with this artist a few months ago who's based in Berlin, actually. His name is Manuel Rossner, and he does, he, he does augment, virtual reality, augmented reality um, work. So he did an exhibition at the Koenig Gallery, and actually I was introduced to him from uh, Annika Mayer, and Johan Koenig recommended I speak to him. And he did, uh, he did this like little, he, he did this installation in the gallery that was only digital. So you can only access the exhibition from your phone, which was really cool. It wasn't sellable at the time because you, you can't really sell that. You can sell prints of the work and stuff, but that was kind of cool. But there are some artists that do augmented reality and virtual reality work, which are amazing. Like there's this guy, his name is Pascal Sender. A friend of mine works with him. He does a mix between real painting and augmented reality. So he'll put markers on the painting and you can actually see like figures and stuff come out of the painting. Through the phone oh, that's awesome. It's really, really cool. He, he just did a solo show at the Saatchi Gallery in London. But his work is amazing. And I think the reason why I like it is because you can still see the technical skill in the augmented parts of the work as well. So it's not just like you're doing something techy, so it's cool. But like he's actually put a lot of work into uh, what he's producing in the, on the computer. So it looks like another painting is coming out of the painting. Like it looks like a really intrinsic, detailed work. It's really, really cool. I like his stuff. Wow. We will also link to his work because yeah, it seems cool. very very up to date for yeah. today's world okay cool i think we've covered a lot of the things that we wanted to talk about is there anything else that you think is worth mentioning ah yes you had mentioned something you asked me about uh, what the best kind of art to invest in is oh yeah yeah i think uh, i do want to answer that because i okay. think um, the best kind of art to invest in is art that is related to what you love and what you do so mm-hmm. um, don't listen to people telling you, you have to buy this. Uh, if you connect with something, look into it. So I don't think there's one thing that's better than something else. A lot of people are going to tell you, 
like African art, for example, is doing amazing right now, especially after Black Lives Matter uh, with George Floyd. It's been popping. Sales have been going nuts, which is amazing, you know, because some uh, African art is amazing. It's beautiful. So it's having a very good moment right now. I hope it continues. Uh, and a lot of tech people will tell you tech-based art is like the new thing to buy and it's the future of art. And again, they have a good point in that as well because the things are becoming more digital. But I would say definitely just if you want to buy something, just make sure it's linked to what you like and because it's going to be in your home and you're going to have to look at it all the time. So that's my advice for that. I definitely agree. I'm still saving up for a piece by Cam Loren, their duo from Paris. And they are, they're street artists, but they also have some um, oil paintings. And they're not super expensive, but they're not super cheap either, for me at least. And even though they're weird, and most of the people that see them, they're, they're weirded out by them because the figures that they're painting have those gigantic black eyes. And I find them beautiful. And so, again, even though probably not everybody would want to look at it, every day in their living room I would love to so yeah. as soon as I have enough money um, this is going to be my first I think big street art piece that I'm going to get so I hope you get it I, I, I hope so too <laughs> let's see so I guess we're wrapping up this part of the podcast and moving on to the roulette so three out of ten numbers are up for you then you have to choose and then you get to answer the questions Okay, so uh, two, five, and nine. All right. Number two is, what would you do if money was not the issue? If you could do anything <laughs> in the world? Anything. Anything. Uh, I would probably just give it all away if money wasn't an issue. Can I give it all away? Can I just give it to people? Yeah, you can. So would you be, yeah. you would just be a charity worker no, just I giving away money because i don't know how much uh, money actually goes to the people in need of <laughs> i would like directly go and i maybe build some houses or i probably wouldn't build them myself because i'm useless but i would pay someone to build houses and like, just put a lot of money in the arts because the arts are really underfunded so i would do that as well and i would also but, buy a beautiful house that's what just get a bigger get a bigger gallery my own yeah not not a bigger gallery like um I mean I want to build my own house eventually so I would just like do that <laughs> and then just start buying work from people I like and put it in there yeah that sounds like a plan I also hope it will come out that way for you so yeah I hope so and yeah fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> question five is what are you most curious about these days Huh. when will we be able to walk around casually and hug people and just be some kind of similar to normal situation? I don't know. I don't, I think that's my, that's kind of what I've been thinking. Like, will we ever have any kind of a normalcy again? Isn't it fascinating that a year ago, if you'd ask anybody about what they're most curious about, they would be like Bitcoin, AI, whatever, politics. And today everybody is only interested in when can we stop wearing masks? When can we hug each other again? And when can we have 
a dinner at a restaurant with the people that we really, really like spending time with. Because that's like an immediate thing. It's something that's happening to everyone everywhere. And it's like, I I miss seeing my friends without having to text uh, the government to tell them I'm leaving my house. Just go on a plane and even come and see you guys in Berlin. You know what I mean? I I really want to do that. I want to go and travel. By the way, I am working with artists that sell work in Bitcoin, just because you mentioned Bitcoin and uh, just put that out there. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Artists are doing that. (laughs) So if you spend, if you have enough Bitcoin, you can also buy art. Yes. The last question is the best book that you read this year. Ah, you know what? I actually got a book recently, which is amazing. uh, And I'm reading it now. I haven't finished it, but it's called A Great Big Book of Art Now with Women. And it's like, a book full of women, uh, living artists and artists that have passed away, contemporary art. And because there was no women mentioned in any of the art history books, because apparently we don't exist. We're only muses. So uh, wow. <laughs> we're, we're only, our only value is to be pretty and sit there. <laughs> like, so. I wish if I could get paid for it, like that would yeah, be awesome. There. No, but um, no, so in none of the books there was mentioning of women artists. There's only like the, the really obvious ones that everyone knows, like Vida Kahlo or whatever. So like this um, curator wrote this, she put together this book and it's massive. It's like something two, two, three hundred pages full of work of women artists and some of them are like young living artists now that you know be great to exhibit their work I would love to work I mean I followed one of them the other day and I was like yeah I love your stuff great great work so I like really like that book but then there's author books but not this year that I would highly recommend for anyone who wants to work in the industry and work from the dealer side and um, one of them is from Magnus Reich he's a Berlin writer Uh, he studied I think in Harvard or something he, he's um, done a lot of research, so his books are really useful. Well, at his and the book that you mentioned about uh, women. I'm just saying Hayden Agnes and Casey Pearson. So we'll add all of that. I think this is going to be the most extensive show notes I'm going to put together ever since I started the podcast, <laughs> because there's so many people we need to mention, but this is great. This is all great knowledge and education for mm-hmm. everybody. We have gone through all of the important things, the roulette, yeah. Thank you, Dania, so much for your time. And I hope that we get to see each other very soon, live in Berlin. We've seen each other over the holidays, over the summer in uh, Hanya, thankfully. I can never get enough of your aura. So I'm hoping to see you soon uh, for more. And then hopefully we'll be able to enjoy in some bar in Berlin. Or a whiskey sour. Or a whiskey sour. Yeah. Oh. thank you for having me thank you I'm, I hope it was useful and I didn't ramble on um, too much I'm usually not the interviewee so I don't not at all not at all I'm I'm glad that we've talked about things that I think are close to your heart and also are close to my heart even though I'm more of the like scrappy uh, street artsy kind of person but I find that especially for people who are pouring their heart and soul into something and trying to express themselves through art I think it's a lot harder to even deal with the situation right now because the kind of data people like myself we can just go in and look at data and you know there's work to be done like that and our expression is not as I guess apparent if you think about it and and for people who are living to create 
that must be a very challenging time. So I'm hoping that at least with this conversation, we get the word out and people even who maybe not have not thought about collecting art ever will, I guess, ponder on this idea and maybe reach out to you or start reaching out to any artists that they know, or like you said, they love or are interested in and maybe help Mm -hmm. them out somehow. And I can I also say if you can't afford to buy art, which a lot of people can't right now, which is completely fine. The best thing you can do is share an artist's work on your uh, social media apps because someone else might see it and want to buy it. So even if you think you can't buy anything, you can't help anyone, you never know who's going to see something. So that's always very helpful if, if everyone is credited, of course. Again, great advice. You guys can use it. Yeah, go check out everything that we posted in in the show notes. Reach out to Denya and come back next week for the next episode. Bye.